Hey, I'm Sayer, and I love Marvel. And I'm Kaylee, and I love someone who loves Marvel. In season one, we watched through the entire Infinity Saga. For Kaylee's first time. And Sayer's 85th. In season two, we watched through phase four. Both of us with fresh eyes. Now for season three, we're watching through phase five. This is a lot of numbers for people to remember. Season 10. Phase 46. (laughs) Welcome to MCU. And me. In this episode, we're talking about 2023's Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantum Mania, and there will be spoilers. Could be the longest title of any film so far. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Quantum Mania. Quantum Mania. Ant Man and the Wasp. Quantum Mania. Um, I think my mind was a little bit blown. I don't know if everyone else saw this already, but like when when the word quantum mania, which is a stupid word, but the word <sighs> quantum mania filled in between the words Ant Man. Yeah, I was like, wow. Yeah, that was trippy. Yeah, should we do a recap? Yeah. Okay, you got one. I, I'm I'm taking them all these days. But... Okay. Um, I'll give mine. Okay. G- g- give your one word summary and I'll give my one words or one, one word. word. <laughs> Sorry, one sentence. <laughs> Drugs. Dr- <laughs> Small. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Okay, how about one sentence? Yeah. Do we expand? Okay. Damn daughters making mistakes. Oh. Yeah, I'm I'm crass. <laughs> um, even our tiniest problems can become our biggest. That's great. Good job. Should we do a real recap? Yeah, I mean the real recap is basically. They're messing around with the quantum realm. They get sucked into it. Janet has secrets from her time down there. And we learn about Kang. And he's a real bad guy. There are many, many Kangs. Mm-hmm. This Kang, super bad. Yeah. It's a it's a family romp. It, uh, truly, truly. That was actually kind of fun about it, that they're sitting down to have pizza. And then they go off to the lab and they all get sucked into this adventure. I was thinking, oh, that's kind of novel. The, the, the adventuring party is is the family. That is true. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a lot of like uh, family on a road trip adventure kind of stuff. Like they got separated for a while. And I yeah. did find that a little bit. Eh. Yeah. A- it's not Little Miss Sunshine. Totally. You know? or, or like National Lampoon or something. And mm-hmm. not that it needed to be that. But I think you're right. There's a huge missed opportunity for a lot of humor that they didn't do. In this kind of blended family. Yeah. Right? Like it's Scott and his daughter, Hope and her parents. The parents have been separated for what Hank experienced to be 30 years. And who knows how long it felt to Helen. Janet. Mm, Janet. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, they, they were separated for, for a long time. And so they're, you know, sitting around the dinner table off the top is kind of the only time we see that family together. Mm-hmm. Then they're separated. I was thinking when um, they all got sucked in. It felt a bit Honey, I Shrunk the Kids as well. I know they're all getting shrunk as well, but yeah, it had that that flavor to it. Absolutely. And now that you say that, that would have been a more fun film yes. if instead of... And I, okay, I know we have to go into Quantum Realm because it's going to lead to a whole bunch of things and like science and blah, but the family film Ant-Man sequel that I want to see is A Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where they all shrink, and oh no, they can't get big again, but they're just shrunk in their house. And so they have to, like, make it back to the lab, but the lab for them now is, like, a 
several days journey across the living room right. and up the <laughs> stairs and and they're fighting all of these like small creatures yeah. in their house and like as as silly as that would be I'm all for it because when you have shrinking tech that's what I want to see I don't want to see an entirely CG fake realm that apparently is It's not fake. Okay, well true. True. You well, don't know that. I I don't. I don't know that definitive. Okay, so so uh, an entirely CG theoretical interpretation interpretation mm-hmm. of, of this other universe that is inside ours and yeah. every single molecule. I want to see fun shrinking hijinks. But we saw that in the first two Ant-Man films. Like totally. The, the what you can get up to with this shrinking and growing technology, which I did find humorous, but I don't know if it sustains a whole two-hour film. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so maybe it would get stale if this was just another one of those. But that being said, CG Quantum Realm got stale real fast for me. Oh, me too. Me too. Me too. It was just a, a visual feast, but I kept like chuckling to myself every time there was like dramatic, swelling Jurassic Park music and like these sweeping vistas of blobs and fungus and whatever we mm-hmm. were looking at as if it was supposed to be beautiful looking at the actors go Whoa. yeah and like kind of touching things and being mesmerized by this like okay so like these people of all people should not be that surprised right. i'm sure that if you were to enter the quantum realm in some way shape or form it would not look like anything that's recognizable to us we might not even need eyes to know what we're looking at like why are we so limited things looked like trees and buildings and ships and horses and like everything looked like something recognizable at least in doctor strange the the multiversal stuff is kind of like fragmented and kind of um, nonsensical in a way that's not Dr. Seuss. Like this felt like Horton Hears a Who. That's a perfect explanation of it. And so it felt not serious. Yeah. Like the Rick and Morty of it all, which could have been very successful. Yeah. But Rick and Morty takes the piss out of all that. And it's just like, okay, here's a person with like 14 eyes and no mouth. We don't know why. And it doesn't take itself so seriously. Yeah, and and it it goes even further in the multiversal randomness of what's capable out there. Like, Answer My Eyes Johnson is one of the stupidest and funniest things to do because it's just a human with ants in his eyes. That's his existence. And, like, that's what I want to see more, like you were saying, from this complete open box that they're able to just create anything it was all pretty predictable what they were doing. This, the tone of this film with what we were watching, the visuals and everything, I'm sure it was like expensive as hell, but it was like, I just didn't feel anything. It didn't move me. And I wasn't even like, I didn't have my mind blown in any way. It was like never ending story, but like CG. I think it it already looks so dated yeah. and it hasn't even come out yet. It comes yeah. out in three days. <laughs> right. Like it is as current as our tech can get in like movie making. Mm-hmm. And yet it already looked old fashioned. I was thinking the exact same thing of how expensive was this, but how much is it not paying off? And mm-hmm. it's funny that you mentioned never ending story because I was thinking about all of these eighties films and seventies, if you include star Wars, but all of these older sci-fi films, star Wars, Willow, Never Ending Story, Dark Crystal, 
with like psychedelic weird creatures that mm-hmm. they created practically. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, what a perfect opportunity to create something that is an absolute visual feast and so weird practically. How cool would this film mm-hmm. have been mm-hmm. if it was all practical with with CG backgrounds? Okay, that's fine. But like if they were walking around on practically built sets that even if they did look Dr. Seuss-ish, that would still be super fun because you, you'd look at it and go, whoa, they're actually able to touch that fangdoogle there or whatever. And that creature, the blob creature they're talking to is actually being puppeted by somebody. Yeah. How inventive. Like the yeah. money that they spent on this, I thought you should have spent it in a different department other than the VFX because, yeah. like you said, the VFX is so dating and it doesn't move me. No. You you said it so perfectly with the Jurassic Park moments of, are we supposed to be impressed by this CG space whale flying by? That and like a sunset behind it. Yeah, yeah. It mean it means nothing because it's just a bunch of ones and zeros that the actors aren't actually looking at. No, they're not really talking to so many of these creatures. And I was going, was this out of necessity? Because like to be honest, it's a pretty small cast mm-hmm. movie. They had the family unit, Kang, the kind of settlements that exist within the quantum realm. Yep. But they didn't have a, like huge crowd scenes and stuff. Like they just used Paul Rudd over and over and over again. Yeah. We'll get to yeah. that part. Um, but it's a it's a contained film in a way. And I went, is that because of COVID? Like, think about how few people needed to be on that set yeah. when it's just Paul Rudd like flying through CG blobs. Yeah. And not that we haven't had CG before. We have plenty of CG in other films. But you could really tell 80% of this film was just someone standing alone in an entirely green room. And, you know, we're watching Andor right now. And Andor takes place in space with a lot of aliens, a lot of humans. So, you know, they're they're getting by that way. But Andor is all so practical. And they set it in rooms they Mm -hmm. set it in places that they can build and as much as i get it they want to show how like wild and crazy the quantum realm is Mm -hmm. i wanted it to be real i wanted to actually see them like be able to put their foot on the thing that they're stepping on instead of like okay you can tell she's kind of touching the space whale creature but yeah she's not she's just holding her hand up against nothing exactly yeah, there were zero stakes in this movie because also we don't understand how anything works. So I, I wish that instead of like making things look sort of similar, like making gravity work the same way as it does, you know, making all these um, laws of nature, I guess, still work the same way in the quantum realm yeah. rather than being like fractals. And like, I think and I am no physicist. <laughs> um, I don't know if you can tell, but... I feel as though they're limiting themselves. They're putting a ceiling on their imagination about what the quantum realm could be like. The idea that in a speck of dust or something smaller than microscopic exists entire worlds, universes, societies, civilizations, or something that even we cannot comprehend of. That is so interesting. Yeah. And it could just be like, it, uh, particles it, or nothing it could not it could be even not matter yeah you know but yet they go to this quantum realm and it just kind of looks like a forest but it's kind of pink and orange and it, it's a grab bag of some random different looking beings which is cool but but i also was wondering 
why are there so many completely different races of beings down here? Mm-hmm. Is this some kind of refuge for destroyed worlds elsewhere? It was kind of hinted at, but then we never got that explanation. And again, I'm thinking of Rick and Morty, where they go to, like, butt world. Yeah, exactly. Or the world where <laughs> hamsters live in people's butts and pilot them. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Absurd. It's so absurd. But and if like, you explain that plot, you're like, I don't want to watch that. But but it, it, but it works. sets the rules. But also, okay, what works about Rick and Morty is every single episode is about something to do with their relationships sure. to each other. Sure. So you can stand it in as like this grand adventure to like the butt planet. I don't even remember that episode. Uh, I've watched every episode, but I can't recall a single one. They're so absurd, except for Pickle Rick. Oh, legendary. But. Pickle Rick is about therapy. Yes, yes. You know what I mean? It's about family therapy. It's about, like, the family dynamics. And that's what was missing from from this film is, like, what's the substitution of this of this movie? Mm. What's the... It's it's a dad and a daughter learning to work together. Um, a broken family learning to listen to each other. It's about family secrets coming up again. Like, there's always supposed to be a substitution for what kind of movie is this? And yeah. I just went, oh, it was, they looked in the drawer of all the the creations that Marvel has ever come up with, all the art department's creations that they rejected. Mm. They went, oh, I don't know, let's throw them in here. That's such a good point. <laughs> all of the discarded character designs, let's put them all in this film. Exactly. And I gotta say, like, 10 minutes into the movie, they're in the quantum realm. Yeah. And my thought was, oh, no. Are we going to be here the whole movie? Yeah. I didn't know how long the movie was, but... And, like, why weren't there ever any, like, pop-outs to, like, back in our universe, back on Earth? Like, why couldn't one character have been left behind who had to try and solve it from the outside? Because we had all five of them inside, but they weren't really even together. I just got so tired of of what... And also, it was in IMAX. It was, like, visually just, like, barfing on me. Yeah, it it was very big. (laughs) Um... Yeah, you're hitting on, I think, maybe my biggest gripe with the film. Maybe only second to what you had just talked about before, too, that there was no substitution. There was no character growth at all. At the end of the film, we literally end up in the exact same scenario. They're all sitting around a table having dinner together. Nobody has changed. No, No. and Kang is still at large. Kang is (laughs) still at large, yes. But, But my other big problem with the film is that... It just discarded the entire rule that we had set of the quantum realm. Time works wildly differently than in the real world. And so I kept expecting like, oh, they're going to come back to the The real world way in the future or way in the past. Or like that is going to be the cliffhanger of this film. They're going to realize, oh, we've been down in the quantum realm for... I don't know, a day or two days or however long they were down there. And, oh shit, it's been a hundred years or something like that. And so they have to figure that out in another film. But they came back up and it's like they were gone for the time they were gone for. Yeah, we really, no offense to the director of this film, I don't know who it is, um, but it should be Christopher Nolan. If they're if they're meddling with this oh. stuff, like, can we get a little Christopher Nolan action? Wow, can you imagine? Holy yeah. smokes. Give it like the Tenet treatment. Or Interstellar. Oh my god, I actually lolled when the daughter, Cassie, was like, Dad, this is all my fault. And they're in the quantum realm. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and then, yeah, like, they all somehow exit the quantum realm, and there are, like, no consequences. There's, like, the little narration at the end where um, Scott's, like, 
kind of worried. You know, he's like back to like normal walking down the street. And then it's like, wait, but did, did Kang, what actually happened? Is Kang actually gone? And, and he said that if he dies, then something bad will happen. Then they're all coming. Did I just kill everyone? I did really like that moment because I was worried that they were going to be ending the film in, in the exact same place where it started. And then with that one little nugget, I went, ah, okay. What you are doing here is very firmly setting up the next swath of 10 films to come out. I'm already tired and it's only the for first sure, one. For sure. And and we do talk about this a lot where the stereotypical line is, there are so many repercussions for the future. Mm-hmm. And yes, that is a stereotype that we talk about. And it's not what gives value to films. But what I will say about this is it felt like the beginning of something. But they're just like, it's the beginning of just endless possibilities. Well, I I disagree, though. Okay. To me, it feels like this is the definitive beginning of phase five. Phase five is going to be about Kang. Kang's. And what they just did in this film, by killing Kang the Conqueror in the quantum realm, that has just set up a whole chain reaction where every threat that every other film is going to be dealing with is direct fallout from this film. So I did feel like, okay, that's where the value in this film lies. And I wish that they had highlighted that more. But can't these films have value unto themselves? Like, I, I don't understand. We talk about this a lot. Like, I don't understand the idea of these films only having value in what they set up for the future. It kind of is like, you know, how our food is now like genetically modified with chemicals that make us want to eat more of the food. We're just like gerbils in a cage Mm. going like, okay, well, I I got that one. I can't wait for the next one. And so it's like, because I can't believe what they're doing with like all the Kangs or something. Can't these have merit unto themselves as like, I, like, I almost wish I could say to the filmmakers, like, do you have pride in these movies? Like, Sure. Or are they also, are their hands tied being like, I have to answer for what's happened before and what's coming up next that they're setting up. So I just have to deliver this product that is going to, like, whet the people's appetites for what's coming next. Absolutely. Yeah. And I agree with you. I want the films to have individual value as standalone as they are. I want that to be where the value is. All I'm saying is that separate from other times when the stereotypical line is the repercussions for the future, I feel like this one actually does have more meaningful repercussions for the future in a way that we actually could see as this was the beginning. I'm just describing value where I can. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that that's where the value should be. I agree, but I I fully agree with you. I wish that this had just... Kind of like Ant-Man 2. Yeah. Ant-Man and the Wasp. It was so good. It was just like, oh, pop out and here's a little side story romping around San Francisco. Yeah. But now that I think about it, it's like fully setting up what happened here. But I still enjoyed it as a film unto itself. Totally. I think that actually is a perfect example of what we're talking about. Because as a film unto itself, very fun. You only really had to have seen the first Ant-Man. Maybe Civil War to understand why he's in prison at the beginning. But it stands alone by itself. The humor is there. The action is contained. The relationships are clear. Relationships are clear. And then at the very end of the film, in the mid credit scene, is when you get the tie-in. When he goes into the quantum realm, they get snapped away. That's where it sort of ties into everything. That is the structure that I want to see again with these films. Hmm. Where it's one film by itself, and then at the end, oh, Nick Fury shows up, or something like that. You know, that's how it ties in. 
Well, so there is this, um, I don't know, entertaining scene that's also action and there are some stakes in it as well when Ant-Man multiplies quite rapidly and mm. it becomes like an anthill or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the Scots are like, who's the real Scott? Which we've seen a million times before in other other films and whatever. But when I was watching that part and like then, and that was like down in the, the core. Yeah. And as they were like building their anthill and he was climbing to the top to kind of reach for the thing he had to press. It's always a thing you have to press. I can't even remember. I just saw it like an hour ago. <laughs> I can't even remember. But I just remember seeing a bunch of Ant-Mans and the real one, who we assume is the real one, is like climbing to the top. But sort of like in Rick and Morty, whenever there's like the Citadel of Ricks or like these alternate timelines, and it's like, who's your Morty? Who's your Rick? Yeah. And in Ant-Man, all these like Ant-Mans were falling off the hill and were like, ah, falling away. And I was like, oh, so like the other possibilities of yourself are, are disposable? Like, right. they are all the protagonist of their timeline. Mm-hmm. And, like, those ones just, I don't know, died, fell, injured themselves. We don't know. Like, it's undercutting the whole idea of, like, multiple universes and timelines and versions of yourself to have them be so disposable. Whereas we just watched Everything Everywhere All at Once. And, like, what is in the water right now with multiverse stuff? Oh, it's I know. A whole moment. But in that one... It felt like all the timelines or versions or possibilities or branches you could have taken were all valuable. Well, and and we got to see in all of their universes, they were the main them. Like, yeah. they matter to them, and so they matter to us. Yeah. There's not the real one, and then there's all the extra ones. Totally. But that's what it felt like in this film. Mm-hmm. We were, we were focusing on our Scott, and we were told... To focus on our Scott because he's our protagonist. And the other ones, like you said, they're falling away. They're expendable. Like I would have loved if it had evolved into this thing where multiple Scots come back. Or maybe a different Scott comes back. Yeah. Like maybe our Scott, in quotations, has to sacrifice himself so a different Scott can make it out. But it yeah. doesn't matter because it's not a different Scott. It's it's all Scott. And also, this was a probability engine, so they were all technically him. They were just different actions being taken, confined within this one little space. Oh, okay. so So it's not like they were variants, necessarily. This is only my understanding. Mm-hmm. But even so, like, the Scott that we started down there with, let's have him sacrifice himself so a different probability version of himself can get out. Because then it's still, it's still the same Scott, and they still want the same thing. Mm. I did think it was very cool, though, how he became an ant colony yeah. and he built an ant bridge like ants do. I was like, okay, Marvel, that is very clever. I have to give that to you in is an Ant Man film. Or is it just obvious? Well, maybe, maybe, but I didn't see it coming okay. until they were building the ant bridge. And I was like, oh, you got me. I didn't see it coming. Uh-huh. And it's Ant Man and he controls ants and now he is the ants. Very good. So, so maybe it's maybe it's not very clever, but it just I liked it. I mean, yeah, I found that part entertaining as well, and there was like opportunities for slight exhales through the nos- nostrils. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about Modoc, <laughs> the return of Darren? Yeah, I think my brain left my body at that moment and just was looking for anything to do to think about to imbibe, to just feel something. Yeah. So the character of Modoc is from the comics, and he looks exactly as he looks. He is a giant... Humpty Dumpty. Head. He looks like Humpty Dumpty. Mm-hmm. 
And design-wise, initially, Marvel made him look very robotic and not a giant face. Okay. Because a giant face looks ridiculous when you actually take it from comic to real life. Yeah. And fans were like, oh, no, that's terrible. It doesn't look anything like a comic. So then Marvel redesigned it to be... What we saw. A giant face. And the fans were like, that's hideous. And Marvel was like, we know. That's why we designed it differently, first of all. But you asked for this. So I agree with you. It's it's a super weird design. Why do we listen to the fans? This is what I always harp on. I I mean, I have never heard of MODOK before in my life. Obviously, I do not pay attention to these things. But like, why do we listen to the fans? I know. Also, why do we include this? Like, what is the importance of having that character, A, having Darren return, B, having to feature this egg person? Yeah, so I don't care for the character of MODOK at all. I, I don't think he was necessary to this film. What I will say is I find the amalgamation of previous stories and MODOK from the comic... I find that kind of clever because Darren Cross is not MODOK in the comics. Okay. But in the first Ant-Man, Darren is defeated by sort of shrinking and like crunching into his suit mm-hmm. into the quantum realm. So it's reasonable to believe that he could have got stuck at some point where with a big head and small arms and small Little legs. Butt. So I was like, okay, if you're going to make a character of MODOK who looks absolutely bananas design wise Mm -hmm. this is one way to creatively make it make the most sense possible but ultimately i agree with you we didn't need him in the film i i don't think that he was particularly funny he didn't provide anything necessary to the film he like swept in and like finished it off but but not even but only yeah only because he was he was in the film so they had to include him once more if he didn't exist they would have found some other way for Kang to be defeated in that moment. Right. I, I I thought it was a dumb gimmick in the film that just was distracting. And then, like, it's never too late to stop being a dick. Oh, I hate dialogue uh, like that. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, I mean, good sentiment, but this isn't how people talk. No. Anyway, it was dumb. It didn't work for me. I'm sorry for all the MODOK lovers. I hope you're satisfied with the fan outcry that created that ugly thing. Okay, can Marvel do anything else besides stunt cast white men Ugh. in fancy, poncy, rich roles? Oh like, like Bill Murray, as much as I love him, was a carbon copy of Jeff Goldblum in yeah. Thor Ragnarok. Except Jeff Goldblum was funny in Thor Ragn- Ragnarok because the writing was good and the yes. direction was good. But this, Bill Murray wasn't even funny. He just no. seemed like he was forgetting his lines. I was so sure that he was going to show up in the very final credit scene because you have Bill Murray. You only use him for that one scene and he's not funny at all. I know. And it's so trite for like the family dynamic to be like, oh, this is who you spent your time with down here in the quantum realm. It's just so like typical and conservative to be like, and she's like, oh, I have needs. I have needs. So do I. Oh, mom and dad don't talk about it. It's like, is that supposed to be funny? Like, it's so base. I don't mean base in like a, a crass way. I mean base in like a 101 sort of way. It's like, can we be more creative? Yeah. You can hire like the most brilliant minds to work on these these films. Well, like, why not do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I know. I'm not saying I could do it better, but I'm also not attempting to do it. No, I'm. I'm. What What I'm going to say is that Marvel has all the money in the world. They That's can I mean. find the people to do it better. That's what I mean. Even yeah. like hire some comedy writers to like beef up these scripts and add some jokes or something. If you're going to just go with this sort of, um, I can't even tell you what genre this film was. Like it wasn't even that action heavy. But if you're just gonna if you're gonna explode it open, you know what I'm gonna say it. I wished it was Guardians of the Galaxy, and everyone who's listened to our podcast knows those are not my favorite films. Yeah. But like, at least those are trying to be funny. Mm-hmm. And you know, going into it, you're like, this is gonna be a comedy film with some action. Yeah. I was thinking the exact same thing. I was thinking like, <sighs> no. Guardians of the Galaxy is Guardians of the Galaxy. Don't try and make other films Guardians of the Galaxy. But the first Ant-Man I found delightful. Amazing. Remember, like, yes. I was so, so surprised at that late in, in the game, introducing this new character who I so liked, and I didn't know anything about it. I, and, like, I really like Paul Rudd, but, like, it was fantastic. It was so funny and lighthearted, and it took us in, like, it took us away from this storyline that seemed to be building towards something and took us to this like kind of small story that existed in one city Mm -hmm. for almost the entire film and it was kind of like a heist thing where was luis i know in this whole film yeah are you kidding me do they not know what they have i know also randall randall park's character oh jimmy jimmy woo yeah what happened to jimmy woo he was there he was there eating on a patio with scott yeah that's that's the subplot of back in the real world. Yes. We're seeing Jimmy Woo and Luis have to figure out. Because, Team up. Because they've come over to like meet up with Scott and everyone's gone. And they they find, I don't know, something tips them off that something's gone wrong. So now it's Jimmy and Luis having to yes. like sleuth around what's happened to them. Meanwhile, back in the quantum realm, exactly. that's the film. Exactly. I want to watch that version. Oh. Because remember like in WandaVision, I mean, not just because Jimmy Woo's also in that, but like in WandaVision when like she's created this whole world this whole fantasy we pop out of it and we see what the people on the outside are trying to do yeah and we see the threat or we see them trying to rescue or whatever it is like to try and get into this this world she's created meanwhile we just spent almost two hours in this susian nightmare (laughs) and it's just so unrelatable yeah and exhausting frankly while we're talking about gripes okay I desperately want a film to culminate with something other than a final battle Mm. where characters don't just walk to the final battle knowing it's the final battle. Like, (sighs) why, when Kang finally got the core back, first of all, it took so long to put it into the machine and start to turn on, like, the whole big city ship that he built why did it take so long to do that and then when that failed why didn't he just take the core and put it in his little personal ship and get out of there yeah. he's been waiting how who long? knows how long to get out but instead he walks down to the battlefield yeah. to go hand to hand with them uh-huh. i was beside myself wanting to yell at the screen like mm-hmm. Leave! (laughs) You've won! You told us what your big plan was. You can do it now. And if you leave right now, they're all stuck. Yep. You win. Don't fight that. Now, 
To be fair, it seemed like this Kang the Conqueror was a very vengeful sort, so maybe he has vendettas that he cannot let go of. Against Janet. Against Janet, <laughs> Literally yes. just Janet. But, okay, if that's the case, then build that more into the storytelling. What I will say, though, if we're moving away from gripes, I'm going to move us away from gripes. Majors. I, I, Jonathan Majors is a gift. Oh, yeah. The best, the, the reason to watch this film. Oh, yeah. I, I, I wish the film was more about him and less about the Ant family. Literally every acting choice he makes is like a 180 from the expectation. Yeah. I don't know how he does it. And it's so committed, so subtle in many moments. Mm -hmm. Except I just don't like the action. Like when he's in action, I'm like, it's just like any other villain. Yeah, whatever. he's firing beams out of his hand. But he's intoxicating to watch. In all of his like smaller scenes, in all of his like talking and um in his early scenes with janet oh. he's he's amazing to watch and like remembering him in loki it was like yeah uh i'll do anything you say yes like <laughs> and so different too yeah and, and this is what boggles my mind about him kang the conqueror felt like an absolutely different person from he who remains and yet felt like if the same person had different paths that they took. Mm -hmm. Like, he didn't feel like he was pretending to be a different person entirely. He felt like this is a version of this being who's had these circumstances thrust upon him and has forced him to be this kind of person. I, I, I'm blown away by his performance, and I cannot wait to see where this goes. That's where my excitement does come from in what repercussions are there for down the line? I am so excited to see him continually come up in all the future films as different versions of himself mm. because we just get so many incredible acting choices from him and yeah. we are going to continue to get entirely new characters. Now, I'll say another bit of a gripe. I think that the first post credit scene was a little hammy and showing Marvel's hand too much with having all of these Kangs show up. I could feel that they were trying to make it serious. And scary. But it was only goofy. Yep. We had a pharaoh one. All these crazy ones that were screaming in this arena. And that's where it felt like, okay, are you trying to be serious? Or are you trying to be Rick and Morty, but you're not doing it good enough? Like, it felt like the Citadel of Ricks. Yeah. Which is amazing. And I think it's a great premise to mimic. But... I was left being like, was that meant to be funny or serious? Because yeah. it was neither. Exactly. That's exactly. That's the tagline for this entire episode. <laughs> Our entire. Yeah. My entire criticism of this film is like, is this meant to be funny or serious? Yeah. <laughs> and just like not knowing what to do. It's not scary. It's not funny. Not serious. I was yeah. just so glad I had my tea there. So I had something to like <laughs> soothe and distract myself. But the post credit scene has a couple of our faves. Oof. The post credit scene got me back on board with being yeah. excited about Marvel. That and the quantum mania taking over the Ant-Man at the end. <laughs> those were my two favorite moments. <laughs> That's very funny. It took all the way through the film to get to our favorite yeah. bits. But truthfully, that post-credit scene was my favorite part of the film because we got Loki back. Yeah. Is that setting up a new season of Loki? Yeah. So Loki season two Ooh. was announced at the end of Loki season one. So we're going to see... Tom Hilston period costumes? Yes. I'm into that. So it looks like Loki and Mobius are going to be going on like 
Carmen San Diego adventure. Exactly. Yes. Time traveling, universe traveling excursions yeah. to find different versions of Kang. It's like Wishbone. It's absolutely. What's the story, Wishbone? Is that Canadian? What's the story, Loki? <laughs> That's absolutely possible now because wow. if th- there's there's a little Jack Russell Terrier version <gasps> of Loki. You're right. It's Wishbone. I can't wait for Loki season two now because of that. And I also really liked seeing. Okay, here's a here is a version of Kang who is maybe the original version of Kang. Who can say? Who can say? And it looked like he had a very rudimentary version of the core that he had in Quantumania. And he was talking about how time is limiting and we need to break free from time. Isn't there something about that particle collider in Geneva, Switzerland from like 2008 about like black holes or branch timelines or alternate realities or something? Yeah. I was taking um, an intro to physics course. (laughs) So I am not I am not an expert, but I have taken 101. a physics course to fill out my electives in university. And I took conceptual modern physics because I love to torture myself. I don't know. Very it had, brainy. It had no math. I just needed an, uh, an elective. But it happened to be in the semester that I took it when the the um, Hadron Collider had been in trials and stuff. And there was some accident that happened. Did you know about this? Yeah, as from my understanding, they succeeded in what they were trying to do. They were trying to create a particle accelerator and have particles collide and and they did that again my understanding is very rudimentary but but there were like conspiracy theories and stuff about it and like branching timelines yeah so the biggest thing that i've heard is that that is the cause of why we have the mandela effect why Ah. we remember all of these things that you know it's it's the berenstain bears but we thought it was the berenstain bears and Uh we always thought it was Smokey the bear instead of Smokey bear or or um that the genie movie Shazam. Shazam. But it's Kazam. Yeah. Yeah. All of all of these things. I mean, you can go down an entirely fascinating rabbit hole just about Mandela effect. Yeah. But I love this explanation for it that when CERN turned on that particle accelerator yeah. and it worked, it created all of these branch timelines and thrust us into the wrong one. Uh-huh. And this was something that I saw like a 10-year-old boy came up with this theory. <laughs> He's a genius. Listen, I I buy it. I I absolutely do too. <laughs> and that's why we're in this world now where like Trump won an election. Like how how did we get to that place as a society? It's because we're in a wrong timeline. <laughs> well, yeah, but then we could like blame anything that happens like tsunamis sure. and stuff and and it takes onus off of any any people or groups or or um, the state over having to like protect anyone or mm-hmm. whatever. Anyway, yeah, I don't know why I got onto this, but like I just have heard this like theory. Where's the movie about that? Maybe the Nolans are working on one. No, CERN is covering it all up. Ooh, CERN is sword. There we go. C E R N. Control everyone right now. <gasps> <That's>, <laughs> oh my god. You had so much practice from doing the license plate game that we play. Oh, yeah. When we're on road trips in, in Ontario, there are four letters at the start of any license plate. And you have to, as fast as you can, come up with what the acronym is. Yeah. So our license plate. I'm not going to say our license plate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, we have one for ours. It's difficult in Ontario, though, because there are so many vanity plates. Yeah, that's true. So they are funny unto themselves. 
But I do have to wonder what kind of person goes into a service Ontario and says, yes, I'd like my license plate to be rough and ready, please. (laughs) That is the classic from Stratford, though. Mm -hmm. Rough and ready. Wow, we got off track. Yes. Well, maybe maybe on track, though, because, you know. Rough and ready. (laughs) I feel like that's what the that's what kevin feige said about this movie rough and ready yeah she's rough but get it out there yeah yeah put it out she's she's rough and ready they showed him a cut they're like yeah we were thinking of making a couple changes and he's like nah it's rough and ready (laughs) the people need it one good thing i will say for this film though is that even though she's not my favorite actor ever there was a lot of screen time with michelle pfeiffer Mm. and in a film franchise that kind of casts the over 50 females as like grieving mothers or you know like you don't hear a lot from them they kind of disappear they're invisible they just don't show up a lot and if they do they die or they Mm -hmm. cry to have like a feature like that it still didn't really work for me and it still was kind of empty Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of time spent with michelle pfeiffer when she could have just been someone who had an adventure a long time ago who no longer goes on adventures yes (laughs) It was interesting uh, watching the scene between her and Kang in their little hut. Yeah. When she saw the vision of who Kang really was, and the two of them were both doing very serious acting, I was going, wow. He's Mich- jogging circles around Yeah, her. Michelle Pfeiffer is getting her ass handed to her <laughs> by this relatively newcomer. Uh-huh. And nothing against Michelle Pfeiffer, and she's legendary, and she's done some great things. But I was just like, it's further reason to be so excited about Jonathan Majors being in these films, because mm-hmm. I was like, this is amazing for these legends mm-hmm. to be outacted by who we have as the new big bad of Phase 5. I think another one of my favorite parts of the film, with him, surprise, surprise, was when he was talking about why he wants to get out, why he needs to get out, why they should help him get out. Because again... Like we talked about before, when villains don't think they are villains, mm-hmm. that is when it is the most compelling. That is when it makes the most sense. And So what he, was his reasoning? Can you distill it down for me? He was saying, I've seen how it all ends. And I need to stop what's coming. I need to get out there and stop, basically, the Citadel of Kangs from doing what they're doing. Because it seems like by trying to control the timeline and the multiverses and all that, it is collapsing on itself Hmm. it is either expanding too rapidly or it's getting too cramped i don't i don't know exactly what's going on but he is seeing there is a flaw in the system and so in order to kind of like what thanos was saying resources are finite Hmm. somebody needs to take some drastic action and stop this whole thing from falling apart and so he's like i need to get out there and stop it all from falling apart and stop all of these other kangs from doing what they're doing. And if mm. you don't, then they're all coming. And that's what Scott was narrating to himself at the end. Yeah. He's like, what? He was saying they're all coming and we're all going to die. What? And if he didn't get out, what was going to happen? Yeah. Now, I yeah. wish that we had spent more time on that stuff in the film. Like I said before, focused more on Kang as a character and what his motivations are, who he is, why he's doing this. Because it's so interesting. And this is the same kind of stuff that was so compelling about the series Loki. All of this timeline stuff and learning about he who remains and why he's there, why he created the TVA, what 
the sacred timeline is and who all yeah. his variants are. This is, I crave this so much because yeah. it's so interesting. And now we have an incredibly compelling actor to give that information to us. Yeah. So please, Marvel, if you're listening, just let Jonathan Majors be the lead in every film that he's in and let him act and write him more multiversal talking stuff. Dialogue? That's the word. <laughs> Don't hire me to do it. Give him some pink goo. Someone. Give so, Sayer some pink goo. So I can speak basic English. Um, I also think that somebody should take away like 90% of the budget of whatever is allotted for the next couple projects and just go, okay, time to play pretend. We're going to make props with scissors and construction paper. Mm. And we're just going to go bare bones here. Yes, exactly. How does that inspire the writing to fill in the gaps? But have we done that thing where we've made Doritos and now people are like, I can tell if it's not real Doritos. Mm. You know, so like people won't go see Marvel movies anymore if they can't feel the money leaking out of the screen at them. Look at the end of Loki. Like they're just kind of sitting in this cave. Yes. You know, I'm sure there was like green screen and everything involved, but it's just like people having conversations. That is what I miss in these films. Call me a fool then for going to a Marvel film hoping that people are going to sit around having conversations. Sure. You know, it's not going to be the Banshees of Inisherin if I'm going to go see a, <laughs> a Marvel film. Obviously, I understand. And I'm not trying to be like hoity-toity, but like, are they still claiming the audience they're claiming? Like, these are just fluff. Mm -hmm. Why don't they aim for more? They have like world-class artists and actors working on these films and directors and composers and everything. And like, it's just not aligning yeah. for me. Maybe there are some people out there who are like injected in my veins. I do not care. I'm sure there are lots of people. And to a degree, I identify with those people too, because I also just love going to the film and having a bunch of action and explosions and pretty stuff on the screen too. Like there is a part of me that absolutely wants that, but that is not all that I want. That's the seasoning on top of the meal that I want. Yeah. And I'm not like anti-CG. Like, look, we just watched everything ever all at once, of course. There's like so many special effects of course. in that film. Of course. But it's like, it hits. Oh my gosh. Like, it really does. Yeah. Or like Christopher Nolan film too. You know, like, it. it you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. Yeah. Ultimately, this was a eh, film with an, oh villain yeah he <laughs> kang is contained within himself in all the different versions both hero and villain which mm. is so interesting mm -hmm. well it's kind of representative of how in another timeline with other circumstances that happened to us or little branches decisions that we've made along the way we could be totally different people mm. we totally would be different people mm -hmm. you know if we'd never met or we never went on a date or we just whatever like who knows who we would be. Yeah. Um, or if we would have met another way, if like there's fate involved as well. Like, I don't know. I don't really believe in fate, like ordaining the path, but you look backwards and go, oh, that's how I got here. That's how I got here. That's how I got here. Oh my God. I can't imagine any other now because I can see all the steps that brought me to this place. Yeah. But I don't take a step thinking like, no matter what I do, I am protected. I am safe. I am ordained or whatever. It's like, no, no, you, we have free will and we are making little decisions every second. Mm -hmm. Grand decisions and tiny little ones that feel like they don't matter. Maybe I would have never met you. Yeah. Right? The, and yeah. oh my gosh, I can't imagine my life without you. 
It's our nine-year anniversary right now as we're recording this. Yeah, we got to go to the movies for a date and on the anniversary podcast. of our first date. Yeah. yeah, we did have our first date on Valentine's Day. It's we like, did. So cute. But we yeah. didn't even realize it when we planned it. No, when I asked you, I just said, you want to do something sometime? Tomorrow's the 14th. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like you can, everyone has the story of like the thing that changed their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really relatable. Anyway, how, how about that score? Christoph Beck? Yeah, I was very glad to see him back. It was a lot of the main themes that we've heard before. What's Ant-Man's theme? Burn, dun, dun, burn. It's, it sounds dumb when I sing it. Um, but dun 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 sort of a one two one two one two three one two one two one two like a Mission Impossible kind of you know changing up the time signature a little bit, and like I've said before, and we were talking about this in Wakanda Forever as well, seeing Ludwig Göransson back for that film, I like when it is one composer for a certain hero because it makes the whole franchise have a cohesion to it. So I was really happy. As soon as the movie started, the music we were getting was very Christoph Beck. I could hear all of the Ant-Man main theme all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I thought, great. It's obviously Christoph. I know we're going to be in for a good musical ride where he's going to expand and change some of the ideas. That's also part of it, too. I like hearing what composers do with their own work, warping it and changing it to suit the story that it's now telling... Because the main theme worked for the first one, and now how do they change that a bit to adapt to how the hero is changing? At the same time, I also thought the music could have been more out there, weirder sounds. I wanted some more experimentation. Yeah. I don't want. I I don't want to see any more work in the quantum realm. No, that's good. That's what I'm taking from this film. I'm done with the quantum realm as a storytelling plot device of time travel or whatever has to happen down the line. Okay, cool, fine. I don't want to go back to visit any quantum realm city. I'm done. Leave that for Guardians of the Galaxy in space. Yeah, I'm good. I could always use more Paul Rudd. He's great. But um, absolutely, use his strengths. Play yeah. his strengths. Bill Murray should just accept contracts where he can, like, just do his Bill Murray thing. Because Buddy looked like he rolled over and got out of bed and was like, what am I doing now? It would mean so much to us if you could leave us a rating and a review on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at MCU and Me Podcast. So tell your friends. Thanks! Thanks!